Hi folks, this is Cameron Abrams, reporter with The Texan. Today I interviewed Cora DeAngelis, a school choice advocate and senior fellow at the American Federation for Children, who has been actively pushing for school choice reform here in Texas during the legislative session. We talked about the momentum on the issue across the country and how it compares to Texas, the opposition from members in rural areas, and exclusively for our subscribers watching at the Texan.news, the prospect of a special session on the issue, how members' votes could play a role in the next election, and the similarities between the push for school choice in Texas and the push for the issue in Iowa. Hi, folks. This is Cameron Abrams, reporter for The Texan, here with National School Choice Advocate, Senior Fellow at the American Federation for Children, Corey DeAngelis, to talk about all things school choice here in Texas. Corey, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Cameron. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So I just wanted to start with getting your perspective on why school choice now. What has caused the momentum for school choice here in Texas, do you think? Well, Vody Bauckham said it best. We cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Well, the good news is over the past couple of years, the parents are no longer surprised. The, the, the so-called remote learning, which we really should have just called remotely learning because there wasn't a lot of learning going on, that was pushed by the teachers unions all across the country to secure multiple multi-billion dollar ransom payments from the taxpayers uh, because they were able to say, well, we're closed because we need more money. And they got so much uh, funding in COVID and so-called COVID relief since March of 2020. It's, it's ridiculous. But parents got to see what was going on in the classroom. And they also got to see that the education establishment didn't care about their needs all that much uh, because the private schools were open in the same cities that you had the public schools closed. And the silver lining, as I alluded to, is that families got to see another dimension of school quality that's arguably much more important than anything that could be captured by a standardized test, which is whether the school's curriculum aligns with their values. And so there's been a, a monumental push all across the country for school choice in the past couple of years. We've actually had six states go all in on school choice. And what I mean by that is that every single student, every single family can take their children's education dollars to the education provider of their choosing. Uh, that could be the public school. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school, but for real this time, unlike with your doctor. Uh, but if not, you could take that funding in states like Arizona that, that first started this last year to a private school, a charter school, or a home-based education option. West Virginia also did this. And then this year alone, it, there were four states that went universal, Iowa, uh, Utah, Arkansas, and most recently Florida, with Florida's House having all Republicans vote in favor and even four Democrats. It was an 83 to 27 vote overwhelmingly pushing for universal school choice. And we're seeing this mostly in red states engaging in this competition, uh, this friendly competition to empower all families with school choice. So the, the argument has shifted for school choice. It used to be more so about, um, you know, the, the, the public schools in low income areas had failing test scores, which is still important. That's an important argument for families needing to get out of a, a failing academic situation for their kids. But now you have parents who are who thought their kids were in good public schools, seeing that there's something else going on here too, 
which is more mo- more likely to mobilize parents than than anything uh, that can be captured by math or reading test scores, which is families not wanting to send their kids to institutions where they're being indoctrinated in values that aren't aligned with their own for 13 years. I mean, parents don't want that. So they're pushing back and um, it, there's no, there's no other solution. I mean, there's, there's been some solutions proposed uh, to fix this kind of curriculum misalignment problem in the schools. And most of them have been from the top down to, to ban certain topics or to, to promote others but the, the, that doesn't get to the root of the problem, which is that there's a one-size-fits-all disaster called the government school system that, by definition, is just never going to meet the needs of individual parents who, who are just going to disagree about how they want their kids raised. And the only way forward through freedom as opposed to force is to fund the student directly, empower parents to choose institutions that align with their values, and at the same time, that competition could lead to the public school's focusing more on education as opposed to indoctrination. Yeah. And you touched on something I wanted to ask you about, actually, is because school choice is not a new idea. Many states for a long time have attempted to get legislation passed related to school choice. We've seen them labeled as education savings accounts, vouchers, scholarship programs. But you use a very notable phrase uh, in regards to school choice, fund students, not systems, right? Can you talk about why you use that phrasing and the importance of the use of language when communicating what school choice is? So it's more transparent. When someone says school choice, you don't really know exactly what they're talking about. But when you say fund students, not systems, it gets into the mind of the listener the concept of the funding following the child. That's what we're pushing for with education savings accounts to have the money meant for the child to follow them to wherever they want to get an education, to literally fund the student, not the institution. And you're allowed, this also puts the other side on defense right away because if I'm saying fund students, not systems, well, if you want to argue with me, you have to try to figure out why we should fund the, st- the system and not the student. And so it, it, it reveals the other side's uh, preference or prioritization of institutions over over the children, which uh, really uh, doesn't help them make their case. And then also when you talk about it in terms of funding students, not systems, it's not just more transparent, doesn't keep just keep you on offense, but it also allows you to bring in analogies of other programs that opponents of school choice support, but, it, but only when it comes to everything else. So we fund st- students directly with Pell Grants for higher education. Uh, We do the same thing with the Texas Equalization Grant. You could take that funding, which is taxpayer or so-called public funding, that can be used at private, religious, or non-religious institutions. The funding literally follows the decision of the student. With with pre-K initiatives, uh, you have the Head Start program and other county or state level pre-K initiatives that allow taxpayer public so-called public dollars that can be used at private religious or non-religious pre-K providers. We do the same thing with food stamps. You can use food stamp dollars at HEB if you want, but you could also take it to Walmart or Trader Joe's, any other private institution uh, that that provides groceries. We don't force low-income families to take their food stamp dollars to residentially assigned government-run providers of groceries. That would be absolutely ridiculous. And whether you're for or against food stamps, we can all agree that we're going to spend the money it might as well go to, to people and to let the people decide for their own families which institutions 
uh, uh, offer the best product at the lowest price. And all I'm arguing with school choice is that we apply that same logic to K through 12 education to fund the families and not the buildings. Right. And we have uh, a few different school choice plants proposed here in Texas. Um, one that has a lot of steam behind it is the Senate's plan, Lieutenant Governor's uh, plan for SB8, which has some provisions built into it, like a, a carve out for rural districts. Um, talk about why do you think rural districts have been a bit apprehensive about school choice? Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, this is the most ridiculous argument I've ever heard against school choice. It's more of an excuse for Republicans to side with the establishment and vote with their against their party platform issue, which is also a top eight Texas GOP legislative priority this session. And Governor Abbott has been pushing it harder than I've seen ever any governor ever push for an education savings account initiative across the country. So it, I just want to mention Governor Abbott's efforts this year have been heroic and he's fighting for it as hard as possible, even making school choice and education freedom an emergency item this session. But from some of these Republicans will say uh, in their justification for voting against their party platform issue and trapping kids in failing government schools, they'll try to make the arg- two arguments that are logically incompatible with one another. Uh, and they'll try to say that because I'm in a rural area, I don't have to vote for this. And they'll say in the, on the one hand, Well, you know, they'll actually say the quote, the public school is the only option. We don't have any other options. We have this great public school in my rural area. And then in the next breath, with a straight face, they'll try to tell you that giving families a choice is going to decimate our fantastic rural public schools in my community. Well, one, if they're fantastic, you should have nothing to worry about from a little competition. But then two, if if there really is no other option in your area, you're not going to lose any money at all from your public schools because one, they're great. And two, if it's true that there's no exit options, public schools are funded based on enrollment counts. If you don't lose any students and parents continue to send their children there, your public you should be the last area legislator arguing against school choice on the basis that it's defunding the public schools. These are the least likely areas to be defunded. Um, And then if you just look at other states that are more rural than Texas and legislators in those states in more rural areas than in Texas, they vote for it and they had no problems with their rural public schools. They haven't been decimated. Public schools actually get better in states where school choice has been expanded. So you have, uh, I've tweeted out the 10 most rural states in the country, according to Census Bureau data, West Virginia being one of them. They have a universal school choice education savings account program. They're fine. Maine and Vermont, they actually have the oldest voucher programs in the country in Maine and Vermont. They started in the late 1800s called town tuitioning programs that were explicitly designed for students in rural areas that didn't have public schools. They gave vouchers to those students. They're still on the books today. These programs are still being used. And if you didn't have a public school in your rural area, they saw a need for having more choices because there weren't a lot of choices. So they gave the funding directly to the families to direct to another public school in another area, a nearby area, or to a private uh, provider of education as well. So we've been doing this for over a hundred years in this country in rural areas, and, and it's been fine. 
And most, most recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, North Dakota, they didn't have any private school choice or charter schools until this year. They just passed through both chambers. It's waiting signature by the governor soon. Uh, but they passed their first private school choice program in the state of North Dakota. So the top 10 most rural states have school choice. That's not an excuse. You look into Texas, you look at Republican primary voters on the on the ballot. 88% of Texas Republican primary voters support school choice on the ballot in March of 2022. That's up nine percentage points since it was last on the ballot for the Republicans in Texas in 2018 when there was 79% support, which is still high, but there's been a surge in just the past few years alone. And then if you look at the University of Houston polling that recently came out, if anything, Texans in rural areas are more supportive of universal school choice than Texas in non-rural areas. So this has just been a ridiculous excuse to side with the teachers unions, to side with Randy Weingarten and the leftists, and to vote against Republican issue uh, for, for, for those who are already backed by those groups. And uh, look, the, the Texas Senate already passed the Senate Bill 8, 18 to 13 with all Republicans except for one in favor. The Texas House should be able to do it, too. Look at the numbers. I mean, look at look at Arizona. That that was the first state to do this last year to, as far as empowering all families with school choice going universal. They passed their bill with one seat GOP majorities in both chambers. That meant every single Republican had to show up and vote for their party platform issue in the state of Arizona to unlock education freedom for all families there. Texas should be able to do the same thing. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is because you've been instrumental across the country helping get school choice passed. And we we saw one conservative state, Wyoming, not able to get school choice passed. And I saw a recent report that a, many of the states that are overwhelmingly Republican or conservative, they are actually voting more moderate as opposed to what the party platform might be. So why do you think some of these more conservative states where their party platform or their constituents are pushing for school choice, but their legislators aren't putting the votes up? Well, you look at Wyoming. I mean, they passed theirs through their Senate, universal school choice. This We were expecting this to be a major victory. And then in the House, they had a majority of the chamber sign on as co-sponsors. So we knew we had the votes. I mean, that's a lower bound of what the true yes votes would be in that chamber if you had a majority already co-sponsoring. You had the votes to pass it. The speaker in Wyoming unilaterally killed school choice for every single family in the state of Wyoming. So leadership... Uh, can be an issue in some states. And there are some red states that haven't passed school choice. We're not winning everywhere. But if you look at the momentum we've had this year, 2023 is the best year for school choice we've ever had. And Texas's neighbor to the north, Oklahoma, each chamber has passed one in, in their house. They passed 75 to 25 vote in Oklahoma, a universal school choice bill uh, for private school choice. And then in their, in their Senate, they passed by overwhelming majority. I think it was like 27 to 6. It's close to that number. It might not be exact. But their Senate passed a, an expansive private school choice initiative that would, it, that would cover, I want to say, over 80% of parents based on income in the state of Oklahoma. And so they're going to decide which of those proposals goes forward. Uh, 
South Carolina's Senate passed a new education savings account program. It's it's now being considered in the House. Nebraska finally reached their two-thirds filibuster-proof majority in their unicameral to pass their first private school choice program uh, on, on second reading. It has one more time to go through their unicameral to be uh, to, before it goes to the governor, who's a strong supporter of school choice in Nebraska. I can go over more examples, but there's a universal school choice proposal in North Carolina in their Senate. They have a, a, a veto-proof majority signed on as co-sponsors. All the Republicans signed on as co-sponsors in, in the North Carolina Senate. So a lot more to watch out for. A lot of states moving the ball down the field. These are red states doing so. Um, but there have been some failures. Uh, if you look at Georgia, their, their Republican-controlled legislature – uh, passed it through their Senate with all Republicans in favor by a vote a, of 32 to 22, I believe. Um, and then it went over to the House where 16 Republicans sided with the Democrats who cheered on when the vote came out. All the Democrats were cheering for those 16 Republicans who joined them in, in uh, blocking school choice. Uh, it ended up getting blocked by a handful of votes overall in the chamber in the Georgia House. Um, so... A lot of that has to do, I think, with in, in deep red states, the teachers unions are dumb in a lot of ways, but they're smart in some ways. And in one of those ways, when it comes to elections and, and controlling the outcomes uh, in state legislatures and to protect their monopoly, their special interests, that's what they do for, for a living. That's their whole purpose of existence, to protect their, their, their interests. And in red states, they know they're not going to get a Democrat majority, so they fight really hard, at least in one chamber, to get a fake Republican, uh, enough fake Republicans to kill school choice bills. They'll, they'll find someone to run in primaries that are that seem conservative on other issues, but then when it really comes down to it, uh, they they are staunch uh, advocates of, of of trapping kids in failing government schools, and so I think we've seen. That in some states, uh, there have been a number of legislators in the Texas House who have been endorsed or funded by teachers unions, some of them who have sent their own kids to private school, but then fight against it for others. Uh, and so that's that's part of the issue here. Uh, but also, I believe, you know, Texas hasn't gotten it done in the past because there hasn't been as much of a push as there has been now. I mean, in 2017, the, the Senate passed an ESA bill, which is great. Uh, in the, uh, but then when it moved over to the House, it quietly died, and there wasn't a lot of commotion about it. I mean, I was upset about it. I testified in favor of that bill uh, in 2017, and uh, the, you know, a lot of families who really wanted it were upset, but there wasn't a grounds as big of a groundswell support as what we're seeing this year. And another game changer is that Governor Abbott again is really pushing the issue, making it an emergency item. And uh, I believe the Senate and the governor are willing to play hardball to get something across the finish line this year. Hopefully they don't have to. Hopefully the House just does the right thing and votes for what their constituents actually want. And I mean, it's even worse than pointing out Republicans that might vote against it. It's Democrats should vote vote for it, too. I mean, Republicans, Democrats and independents support school choice. You have the chair of the House Democrats, Trey Martinez Fisher. He went to a private school before high school. He sent his kids to private school. And then he came out and 
made some very strong statements against Abbott saying something along the lines of, you know, if, if vouchers are Abbott's dream, uh, we are his worst nightmare. He said something along those lines, but it's like you, you exercise school choice for your family. And that's great. I don't have anything wrong with that. I don't blame you for that. Every single family should find the best education for their kids, whether that's in a public school, a private school, or even a homeschool or, or charter school option. That's up to you that you, you should choose the best for your kids. But then you shouldn't say that you're for helping the little guy or helping the least advantaged in society and then turn around and close the door right behind you and tell those low income families that they're that they just got to go to a school uh, in their in their name that they're assigned to based on their address. You have some families in Texas that and other states, too, this isn't only a Texas thing that lie about their addresses Mm -hmm. to try to get their kids into into better so-called public schools. That is so inequitable. It, it squanders equality of opportunity, uh, assigning kids to schools just based on their address and forcing those families to take that funding that's meant for their child to that school, regardless of whether they like it or not. And if they don't like it, they got to move houses, uh, which is very costly to do to get to a better public school, or they have to pay out of pocket to get a religious education that's aligned with their values. Why should only the most advantaged in society have that? Democrats should be all for this. They should be all for school choice as an equalizer. They're for it for their own families. They should be for it for other families, primarily less advantaged families at the same time. Funding students directly as an equalizer. It it expands equality of opportunity. This shouldn't be a partisan issue. You look at the polling, it is not a partisan issue. You look at the Texas polling, you look at the latest Real Clear Opinion Research polling nationwide, finding supermajority support among Republicans, Democrats, and independence for school choice texas should be able to get it done who knows maybe there will be some some democrats in the house who go for it okay folks thanks for listening to the free portion of today's interview Corey and i also chatted about the prospects of a special session and how the stances of elected officials now might also play a role at the ballot box that portion of the interview is exclusive to our subscribers at the texan and can be found at the link in the description of this episode As usual, if you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up for a free month of content on our subscription page to make sure you're always up to date on the latest and most important news in Texas politics.